0: Welcome to episode number 25 of the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephen Abrams, your host and guide into the exciting people of Jackson Hole. My guest today is the totally cool and rad Michael Perlman. Michael began his career at the age of six as a childhood actor, realizing he wanted to be in control of his own destiny Michael stopped acting in his early teens and returned to life outside of Hollywood. Michael landed in Jackson Hole in 1996 shortly after graduating from NYU with a degree in journalism so he could ski the mountains in the West. During Michael's time in Jackson Hole he worked his way into the position of sports editor for the local paper Jackson Hole News and Guide. As sports editor, Michael learned to have an appreciation for what it takes for a small town to be alive and vibrant. Today We will go deeper with Michael and learn what it takes to be a good community member, father, and husband. Before we begin, I have a quick word from one of my sponsors. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The Liquor Store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. Michael, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. We are talking via Zoom, and you are in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And of course, I'm here in Jackson. You used to live here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And over a period of time, you had an opportunity to move to Cheyenne. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks very much for having me, Stefan. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. So, Michael, let's start by giving people a little background as far as how you ended up landing here in Jackson Hole, and how long you lived here, and then what transitioned you out of the valley. Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, so, I arrived in
1: Jackson Hole in the fall of 1996. I uh, had graduated from. A college about a, a year earlier, uh, I actually graduated from NYU and was living in in Lower Manhattan. And uh, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life. I had a, a journalism degree, but I wasn't sure I wanted to go into journalism at that moment. I spent a winter, a winter of 1995-96, working at a ski shop in Manhattan. Uh, it's pretty well known. It's called Paragon Sports. It's a very high-end sporting goods store in Lower Manhattan, and I worked in the ski shop and I, I sold skis and fitted boots. And, um, I took New Yorkers on week weekend ski trips uh, up into the Catskills a couple times a week. And I was doing this and I was moving along and didn't really know what the next move was going to be. And I had a, a, a friend, an older gentleman who worked with me at the shop and he said, what are you doing here in New York? You, you really want to ski, Michael. Why don't you just, you got to move out to the mountains. And so I, took his advice at heart. And it was something that sort of had been in the back of my head. And I looked around in Colorado. Uh, I went out and visited a few ski towns in Colorado, Summit County and Crested Butte. But I knew that the best skiing was in Jackson. And I had visited Jackson when, when I was in high school on a ski trip. And so I had sort of an affinity for the mountain already. So I said, you know what, I'm moving to Jackson. And I, I didn't have any connection to the community at that time. I didn't know anyone who lived there. I, I didn't have any prospects. So what I did was I flew out and I, I flew out for like four days and this is October of 1996. And I checked into the super eight and I pulled out the newspaper and I started calling ads for housing. Cause I knew that, finding a place to live was kind of the first step. And I figured I'd be able to get a job and like the second or third phone call I made, they said, well, the room's rented, but we have a sublet for a month you could stay in. Um, Would you like to come over and take a look at it? I said, sure. I'll be happy to come over and take a look at it. And I get over to this house it's on East Kelly drive. And uh, there's a number of like four people living there, three girls and a guy maybe. And they invited me to drink wine and sit down with them. And, uh, we really just clicked. It was like I was they welcomed me right off the bat. And I said, "Wow, well, they said, well, oh you you totally can have the room in November, and if you need to stay longer, you can stay on the couch. That's fine. you You seem really nice and and it's yours. And so the first night I was in Jackson, I basically found a place to live, at least temporarily. I quickly secured a job um, in Teton Village as a uh, night auditor at the old Sojourner Inn, which uh, is now the Teton Lodge and Spa. And so uh, I spent three nights a week sleeping um, in the office or on the couch when I had done all my work. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, they, I basically they they were nice enough to let me catch a few hours of sleep on the job. The uh, Sojourner Pub, which I think one of your First guests uh, referenced was downstairs in the basement at that time, and uh, I would go skiing after my shift was over and do that. And that was my first winter. I wound up renting a room um, from an older gentleman as my first sort of housing, and uh, uh, I really said, oh, "I'm gonna. I like this community. It's. It was really great. It, it that winter '96-'97, it snowed a ton, and so uh, I made some good friendships. And I said, "I think I'm gonna stay for a summer too." And that's sort of where it started. That 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 was the beginning. And and I, I, I did, so just to continue real quick, I did a, sort of the lifestyle, ski bomb lifestyle for a few years in Jackson, and I, I started traveling a little bit. And then in 2001, I decided I, I needed to like make a break and maybe shake things up and figure out where my next move in life was going to be. So I decided to take a, a four-month backpacking trip to Southeast Asia in the winter of 2001. And when I got back from that trip, I was in Tucson, Arizona, and my old friend, um, Jim Stanford, sent me an email and he said, hey, um, Michael, the sports editor job is opening up at the at the Jackson Hole News, and I think you'd be a really good fit. You should apply for it. I had been gone from the Valley for like six months. I said, mm, okay, I think I'll apply. And... Mike Salat, the publisher, interviewed me on the phone, and he hired me. And so when I came back to Jackson, I was now working at the newspaper, and that was sort of my second phase of Jackson life starting. So that takes you to about 2001 or 2002.
0: Yeah, that was um, a a quick summary of of many years being here in Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) You're probably one of the very few people that landed here and found a place to live within a few hours, but s- standard story that oh, just stay here on the couch. We got a couch, right? No, you can and, live and here. I th-
1: <laughs> and I think it says something about the community. Uh, you know, that, that sort of established. You know, this this sort of sense that there were people here that were my peers that were welcoming. Um, the other thing was, I came out. I, I didn't. I had been living in Manhattan. I didn't have a car, and I thought I could kind of get around without a car. But I quickly realized it was going to be kind of tough to to do that, even though they had the start bus and everything. And this girl who was living in the house, who was getting ready to leave, she was going to travel in Nepal. And I had never heard of anybody going and traveling in Nepal at that time. And she said, oh, um, I'm trying to sell my car. And it was this 1972 Dodge Polaris. And she called it Big Blue. And she said, do you want to buy my car? I'll, I'll sell it to you for $200. And so I bought her old 72 Dodge for $200. And that was the car that I used to try and get around the valley my first winter.
0: What was we'll, that like we'll driving think, a 72
1: Dodge in the winter? It was interesting. It, you know, it had a, a carburetor that would stick when it got really cold. So somebody taught me that you had to, like, put a stick in the carburetor to keep it open so that it would start. <laughs> and then it, it broke down at one point in in the parking lot out by the Sojourner, and I think I just left it there for, like – three weeks because it snowed so deep I didn't want to deal with it I eventually isn't it, this is a funny story they used to have a Teton Motors used to have a, a, a push pull and drag sale where you could bring in any vehicle and they would give you a credit to buy a new car and I ended up selling it to somebody else who used that for the Teton Motors push pull drag, <laughs> and drag <laughs> And that's where big blue ended up although I had several people suggest, <laughs> yeah somebody got in and other people thought it would be it would have been a good derby car you know when they had the demolition derby at the That's
0: fair. Very true. Very true. So earlier in your childhood, I know just from you and I knowing each other here in town, you are probably the only person that I know that was a childhood actor. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I'd be happy to.
1: (laughs) Um, So I uh, had a unique childhood. And um, from the time I was six years old until I was about um, 14 or 15 years old, I regularly did acting, um, child acting. I I grew up outside of New York City. A family friend of my cousin knew a management company when I was younger, and they were looking for kids to do commercials, and my mom offered, said, well, my brother and I might be interested. I have a younger brother. He's uh, just a little bit younger than me, and so they um, invited us to start doing, you know, going in for auditions for commercials and modeling and stuff like that, and uh, my bro- brother quickly decided he didn't have the patience to do it, but I did, and so it really kind of took off, and it became a, sort of an extracurricular activity for me as a as a kid. And so I would go on auditions and and occasionally get commercials, and I did some stage work in New York. Uh, I did a uh, a movie with Paul Simon that's called One Trick Pony that came out in 1980, where I played Paul Simon's son. And then in the mid-80s, in uh, 1984, I was hired for a sitcom uh, called Charles in Charge that was on CBS for a season in 1984, 1985. And my family moved to California, and I lived in Los Angeles for about eight months filming the show on a soundstage at Universal Studios. It was a pretty unique experience for uh, a kid. You know, you're sort of exposed to the world of Hollywood and uh, all that the good, mostly good, not too much bad for a 11, 12 year old. And then the show was canceled. And so I went back to normal, um, to normal life as a sort of a junior high kid. And I did a little bit more acting work after that, but by high school, I was a little bit burned out and I was a little interested in doing different things and sort of maybe staying in the entertainment industry, but I, I didn't know exactly where that would work out for me. And so I ended up going out to college in Los Angeles and going to school in California and uh, w- some interest in the music industry and the film industry. And I eventually decided that that was not the life that I wanted to have. I think the main thing, and, and this gets back to what I really, why I really ended up in Jackson, is I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. And I, I think when you are an actor or a, a, an artist or a musician looking for that kind of success, a lot of that is out of your control. And I had other interests and I wanted to be in control. And I think coming to Jackson and having the freedom to make the decisions that I wanted to make about the kind of life that I wanted to leave was made me a much happier person in the long run.
0: I'm I'm glad you took that route because you lived here. You were great impact on this community and we got to know each other.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I was thinking in my head, trying to remember sort of exactly when we met. And I know that you came, you came to town around 1999.
0: Is that right? Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah.
1: And did we, did we ever meet before I was at the newspaper or was that not until after I, I was working at the paper?
0: Um, I think it was mainly at the paper. I, I don't think it okay. was before that. Um, okay. But being a small community, you just meet people through, me, through people. It, you know, there's just the networking. Hey, how are you? You see somebody out and about and just sometimes you see people regularly. And working at the liquor store, you see a lot of people regularly. That's right. I'll
1: bet. That is true. (laughs) That is true. Um, You know, when I when I moved to town, the liquor store was in the old Albertsons, which was now where Hoback Sports is still. I think it's still there is Hoback sports still there? Hoback, Hoback sports. sports move again. Nope. They still move there. again. Nope. They're still there. <laughs> so, that's right. Uh, so that's right. And I don't remember what year Albertsons moved into its current location, but um, you know, Jackson and I hate to, you know, this sort of the old timers thing is it was really a very different place. And when you think about a, a town was serviced by one grocery store at the time, you know, in a much smaller location.
0: Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was 2000 when we moved, it was January 13th, 2000. It was the biggest snow Storm of the year at that time it was puking, and we were moving <laughs> the door uh, in the back of somebody's moving truck and it was a great <laughs> experience. but like you said, Jackson does change, but what keeps it somewhat the same is the people who are here, and that's the roots of this community, which helps it grow and become vibrant like it is today. And you were somebody who helped create some of that because you decided, hey, I want something that's going to be a little bit more serious mainstream than just being working in ski shops and seasonal jobs. And you took a job at the paper. And can you tell us what it was like being involved in the community through the paper versus before you worked for the paper? Sure. It
1: changed everything. And I, I say that in, it, it it was the greatest way to really get a, a much better depth of understanding of what Jackson is all about and all the different people that that make the community function as the community that it is. I started at the newspaper in 2002 and being inside the newspaper and I was a sports person. And so I, I felt like sometimes I had the, the best job because I got to cover the the outdoor community, the sports in the schools, and also witness sort of firsthand some of the conversations and debates that were going on in the county, uh, in development, in land development, and in uh, the town, and, and all these other areas in the business community. Without having to sort of like get into the thick of it and, and do some of the, the harder reporting that some of the other people did. So watching that, I got to know the the players. I got to know people like the mayor and the councilman and the county commissioners and uh, the schools, uh, some of the teachers in the schools, the coaches in the schools, and the people at, out at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort and Snow King who make those uh, operations run. And you could sort of see what was going on behind the scenes at a much deeper level than you would be able to see just by sort of superficially, um, you know, sort of being in the service industry and, and not being connected to the community. So I really was able to witness and hear firsthand some of the the emotions, some of the the really the tough debates that happened um, regarding development, and and to see how passionately people care about the wildlife, housing, the issues that you know continue to challenge the community to this day.
0: When you started seeing that at the level of being a journalist, how did that drive you to want to continue being a part of this community?
1: I think it made me it made me want even more to to sort of be part of the dialogue to to improve things. And I really think that one thing that changed Jackson quite a bit was the idea of the sort of the internet revolution that happened as as I was there because when I got here in 1996, High-speed internet did not exist. People weren't telecommuting or teleworking. So as the community changed and the influx of people that didn't have to work in the community that could live there but not work you know, at a brick-and-mortar job sometimes changed the dynamics and changed the nature of of, of the community, whether it's housing costs or developments and so forth. So I, I felt a natural desire to protect the sort of day-to-day people that made things run, whether it was um, the teachers or the emergency workers or the people um, who work for the Forest Service and the parks and the river guides and the ski patrollers and all those people that really are the core of, the, of what makes Jackson such a unique place still to this day like to see that that I think that those people are the people that are pushed to the the margins the hardest by the expense and the cost of living there. And and that's why there's constant debates over housing and and, and affordable housing and, and, and transportation issues and that kind of thing. Because the community wouldn't be the community it is without the people who are not earning you know, um, six-figure paychecks every year.
0: Yeah, it, it takes a good cross-section of, of diversity of people to to keep this community going. And I think that's all communities. You I think you're this. absolutely right. You have to have a, a strong cross-section. And uh, I think it's more prevalent in in a small place like Jackson Hole is, and especially a small state like Wyoming is, than it is when there's so many other people, let's say, if you're in Manhattan, Atlanta, Georgia, Chicago, LA, you, you just get drowned out a little bit more.
1: Correct. Correct. I mean, the character of of, of Jackson is is directly related to its isolation and to the people mix, you know, the people that are willing to sort of tough out, you know, what it what it takes to make life in Jackson and and not just the housing, you know, not just the housing costs. You know, one thing that I, I see sometimes right here and in, living in, in Cheyenne now is people distill Jackson to sort of two things, that it's, um, it's beautiful and it's expensive. And while both of those are true, I, don't, I think that's oversimplifying the valley to a, to a great degree and, and, and doing a disservice to the complexity of, of Jackson and all that it entails.
0: Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. And sometimes it's easier to take um, the simple path to have an answer than it is to really deeply think about what makes a place a special that give it the character that it has.
1: Right. Right. And, and, and sometimes it's harder if you're not, if you haven't been on the inside looking out, you know, at the same time being on the outside, sometimes looking in allows you to see its flaws or its limitations a little bit easier as well. And that's something that, you know, you know, I lived in Jackson for 12 years and having been gone full time now for Almost ten years i um, thinks really ten years now uh, i I think I am able to see both worlds although i you know I visit regularly now i don't i I see it more as a uh, as a once an insider now an outsider but being able to see both ways
0: and I would say in the role or your career being a journalist, it is your responsibility as a journalist to explain to people what it looks like from the inside to the outsiders I and think that's true mm-hmm. yeah. And and so now you've segued into living in Cheyenne, and you speak so highly of Jackson Hole. What in the world would drive you to leave this place if it was so special? Why did you move here from here? That's no, that's a that's a great question, and I, I think so. I
1: think it gets back to uh, I had in 2008. I had spent six years uh, as a sports editor at uh, the News and Guide, and I was ready for a change. I had uh, my my partner at the time, my girlfriend and I had um, purchased a small uh, condo in East Jackson that we were living in, but she found her career options in Jackson were a little bit bit limited. Uh, She had a master's degree and she was looking to take the next step in her career. And so uh, that combined with the fact that I was ready for a change as well, She uh, was offered a work opportunity uh, with the state of Wyoming and in Sheridan, which is, for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with Sheridan, it's in um, northern Wyoming, right near the Montana border. It's a beautiful community. And I really wanted to make a life with my girlfriend, uh, who's now my wife and the mother of my kids, And I made the decision that uh, I'm ready to take a chance on living somewhere else because I really want to support this person who I love. So we moved to Sheridan in the fall of 08, right as the economy was cratering. (laughs) And uh, we uh, rented our, our condo and we lived in Sheridan for a few years. And I worked at the newspaper in Sheridan actually, and uh, got to know that community uh, a little bit uh, better as a, as a reporter covering county and outdoors and the school district there and stuff. But um, I felt that that Sheridan was a little bit small and isolated without the sort of the amenities that I was looking for in that that were available to me in Jackson. It wasn't close enough to skiing really for me and. And so, when my wife was offered a, a promotion uh, to move down to Cheyenne, we said, "You know what? Let's, let's take this step and I don't think I ever thought I was going to live in Cheyenne, honestly. I, I thought about Wyoming communities that I'd liked, and Cheyenne never sort of registered, but it's the capital, and when you work in state government, it's where, where a lot of uh, jobs end up. So we decided to take a, the plunge and move to Cheyenne, which we did in 2011. and What we found is that this community uh, has worked very well for us for raising a family. And we still visit Jackson regularly, and we still uh, rent our place long-term to people in the community that need a long-term rental. But we started a family, and we realized that we're able to uh, have the space for a family. And uh, I have twin boys now and a daughter, so I have three children, a family of five. And we have the kind of space in our housing situation that I'm not sure we would be able to swing in, in Jackson now. So we are really comfortable with where we're at.
0: And which paper do you work for now? And uh, what type of reporting do you do? That's a good question, Stefan. Actually, I'm no
1: longer in journalism anymore, and I should have pointed that out. Is okay. after I moved to Cheyenne, um, I took a job uh, with a large internet company called CR Trading Post, which most many of your listeners may be familiar with. They sell outdoor gear, and they're a Wyoming company. And I worked uh, on their website and in their marketing and copywriting department for uh, a number of years, until their company was purchased by a multinational. And then that multinational started reorganizing the company. It was headquartered in uh, in Boston and started laying people off. And I realized that my job was at risk and I made a pivot into what I do now, which is uh, work in uh, sort of the nonprofit sector, working for a small company here in Cheyenne that does uh, consulting business, uh, provides business services for nonprofits and state government and uh, small businesses. We do, strategic planning and facilitation and uh, all kinds of managing a couple of programs for the state of Wyoming. And it's really been a great fit for me because um, it's a a service-oriented business that really works with a lot of really good organizations in the nonprofit
0: field. That's got to be very rewarding works, you being able to help some of these organizations develop into what they dream about.
1: Yeah, no, it's been great. Um, I, you know, my role here has been sort of a, a they, the position that I took uh, really is does a lot of different things. Uh, I don't do the direct consulting work, but I do a lot of the business development and the marketing for the organization. Um, I do a lot of outreach in the community, and uh, it's really gotten me in deeper into the Cheyenne community, which, even though we're a city of you know sixty thousand, is really a much like a small t- a small Wyoming town, like anything else. There's you know there's leaders and, and 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 movers and shakers and and people that are involved in trying to move the community forward and those people are uh, are really making good efforts and those are the people that I want to work around and with
0: that's spectacular. You're gone from one community where you could see you made a great impact, and now you're in another one where you're really ingrained and in, uh, helping that community drive forward.
1: You know, and I think I, sometimes now that I'm close to state government and uh, I, I, I were involved with, you know, my work and involves us with state government to some degree. Um, I have a real chance to sort of look at Jackson and Teton County, how it sort of relates to the rest of the state. And um, sometimes, you know, Jackson is sort of an Island, you know, politically, economically, compared to the rest of Wyoming, but it's also a part of the larger state. And I think that sometimes people either forget that or miss that when they're, you know, looking to move policy forward and things like that. Those issues tend to rise up in the legislature. Um, Teton County is very fortunate to have some really good state legislators who are doing really difficult work in representing the county's interests in a body that doesn't always you know, see things the way that Jackson and Teton County residents see. Give Andy Schwartz and Mike Rue and, and Mike Yen a pat on the back for their efforts and doing what they're doing.
0: They are very strong representatives for us down in Cheyenne. So what I want to circle back to is, yes, Jackson, Teton County is isolated from in the landscape of Wyoming. But it's still we're part of a whole. We're still part of a state. What would you say that you would recommend to people who are listening today, when they do feel isolated, what kind of action they can take to bring themselves back into the fold, to feel a part of the greater organization, whether it's on a state level, a local level, or even a national level? What what do you think could could help people?
1: Well, I think there's there's a couple of things. I think. Involvement is the first, you know, first step. And that involvement can take a lot of different forms. I'm doing a, a Chamber of Commerce program right now called Leadership Cheyenne. I believe there's a, a Leadership Jackson program in, in, in Jackson as well. That sometimes can be a first step of, of involving yourself in some kind of a, a program that, a civic engagement program of some degree. The second thing is to sort of maybe find something that you're passionate about and connect yourselves with other people that are passionate about that. And that may take the form of, uh, of an outdoor interest. It may take uh, the form of a, of a service, um, uh, you know, connecting with a nonprofit. Those are the, you know, local level impacts that can make a big difference. Um, sometimes those things end up having some sort of, uh, of a political component to them frequently, you know, that there's something that's going to be happening at a larger policy level at the state. That you're going to want to involve yourself in. The last thing is is, is get to know your legislators, and I think that. I do that here. And while they don't always maybe exactly, their positions don't always align with mine, I've found that they're really receptive to um, people who are engaged or involved and want to communicate. And those opportunities in a state like Wyoming are, you have a much better opportunity to engage with your
0: political representation or make a difference because of our small
1: population.
0: I'm going to summarize that up into just one word there, and that's going to be engagement. We all have to engage. And yeah,
1: if you if you check out, you, you have no recourse, you can't direct at things, and you really shouldn't complain if you check out because you've never stepped up to make a difference. I completely agree, Stephanie.
0: Like you said, if you check out, you have no room to complain, and there's always something to find engagement. And, and you said it, involvement. Uh, find something that you're passionate about and get to know your legislators. I don't think everybody has to take all those steps. Those are great steps. I love them. Uh, but what you're talking about is engage with people, go knock on your neighbor's door and talk to your neighbor, find out who they are. I, you know, that, that's great. And, and I,
1: I just want to point out, even in Cheyenne, um, my next door neighbors who were in their eighties were wonderful people who we had such a, a good relationship with that my three-year-old twins would frequently want to knock on their doors, even when I didn't, you know, it wasn't in maybe an appropriate time of day to be knocking on our neighbor's doors. And, But that's the kind of, you know, engagement or connection that you can make. And then, you know, I'm passing that down to another generation that says, it's okay to know your neighbors. It's okay to try and connect with them.
0: That's right. And I can tell you with my kids, what I've had to teach them to do is, and what what I was taught to do is when somebody knocks on the door for them to say, who is it? (laughs) Instead of just opening the door up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely true. And that, Absolutely true. And in our, with our kids' generation, think about this, we really won't be teaching them, or hopefully we can teach them, but not many kids know how to properly answer the phone. Hello, this is the Abrams residence. My name is Stefan.
1: <laughs> that's quite true. That is quite true. Um, yeah, I think we really try to emphasize face-to-face engagement. That's a skill that generationally is, you know, and I, and I, and I read a lot about workplace policy and, and things is that some people, young people entering the workforce don't really have good interfa- interpersonal face-to-face skills because so much of their interaction is done digitally these days. And that's not a replaceable skill. As you know, you know, face-to-face counter- customer interaction at your uh, business is, is critical,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, without face-to-face, then Who's going to talk to the (laughs) customer? Right. I mean, who's who's going to sell them that great bottle of wine? That's right. That's right. So do you think that being a child actor helped you create the skills for your face-to-face engagement? You're a fantastic communicator. Being that actor helped you create some of this engagement. I think it it certainly did help. I think to be a, a, a child actor, you have to have
1: some sort of innate verbal skills. You have to have sort of a little bit of self confidence, as you could, you have to be a little precocious. But I think that as an actor, and as somebody who, even after I was on the TV show and I was, you know, I was getting stopped in the streets and I was sort of well known, you know, at that time, you have to develop the ability to talk to people who want to ask you questions, who want to question you about things. And I think that those skills, if you don't have them, can be very difficult. So I think it was helpful, and I think it's continued to help me. Um, I also think that uh, being a journalist, where asking questions is your job, helps you learn how to interface, interact with people, because not everyone's going to want to be spoken to, uh, questioned, and, and not everybody responds to the same kind of approach you know when you're communicating with people. So I think it's important to recognize that everybody everybody's interpersonal skills are
0: slightly different and
1: everybody's style is different. So yeah, I, I no question acting has helped that.
0: So remember this that Simon Sinek did not create the word why. He just put it into a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. There isn't there. Uh, Do you have a favorite uh, you have a favorite book uh, on
1: on communication
0: styles? Uh, do I have a favorite book on communication styles? Um, I can't say that I have a favorite book on communication styles, but I definitely have a few top books and I've just finished listening to good, good to great. And I'm going to pick that up in a a little bit as far as the hard copy and get a different perspective from just listening to it. Good to
1: great. I'm writing it down.
0: Good to great. by Collins. I
1: love getting book recommendations from people. I think it's uh, uh, reading is an, is an art that's important to, to continue to pursue because you, if you're not learning, you're getting stagnant. And I try to continually learn as I Indeed. go. So, Stefan, I was wondering if you had any uh, leadership or communication books that you could recommend for me.
0: I do. Uh, there's so many that I've read because, as my wife calls them, they're self-help books. I I enjoy reading them. <laughs> but I've read most recently a few uh timeless ones. So I have four that I'm going to shout out to you. One is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. The other one is 21 Laws of the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. And one of my first guest on the podcast, his name is Ed Brenniger. He just wrote a book called The Circle of Impact about being leaders in your community and how you can ignite change in the community. And then finally, a book about called The Big Leap. And The Big Leap talks about how we have this imposter syndrome that creeps in at times that says, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. Uh, but it also talks about you working in your zone of genius, and that's what you really, really specialize in. So get rid of all the the noise that's out there. Focus in what you really specialize in well, and uh, figure out what you can get off of your plate that you don't do well. So,
1: zone of genius. I I love that term, and I think that that's. Uh, I'm I'm going to go look that book up because I think that that's a fantastic that's a fantastic concept um, because sometimes you don't know where your zone of genius is going to be. And it may be in the field that you're in at the moment, or it might be some other area, you know? And I think that that's, it's important to figure that out for yourself. And that's probably a lifelong process. At least it has been for me.
0: I I think that it can be a process that you do put some reflection into and really uh, find out where you should be at the moment. But it should also, like you said, be a lifelong process. Never stop doing the reflection to make a determination of where you should be or where you should yeah, go. Yeah, or where you should go.
1: And, uh, you know, there was a, a phrase, I think it's it, it, this is an old book that goes back um, by a guy named Alan Watts. And it was titled Be Here Now. And it talked about being present in the moment and, and sort of appreciating where you are. And sometimes... Um, You know, it's easy to fall into nostalgia or to think about other times in your life when either things were simpler or better or uh, existing in alternate realities. But there's always a a lot of good in the now. And my life has shifted in so many ways over the last 10 years since I left Jackson full time uh, that I I have to sometimes recenter myself to think about, you know, how many gifts uh, I have in my life right now and how great it is at the moment, and you know use my zone of genius to try and be there
0: yeah and and I, th- I think you would enjoy all those books being a a dad and a, somebody who's really helping the community of Cheyenne grow and, and develop and being a leader down there and some of the other organizations that you're a part of um, I think you would see a lot of value in some of those books that I recommended
1: well, I, yeah, and I, I really appreciate the recommendations. Uh, I just want to add that fatherhood has probably been, certainly has been the most transformational experience of my life. And uh, it has really opened me up and made me self-aware in a lot of ways that I, I just simply wasn't until I became a parent. I'm, I'm sure you would feel the same way if I was to ask you about that. Would you agree?
0: A thousand percent. <laughs> On the money. So, uh,
1: we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but it becomes such a an overwhelming and and you know life changing experience that I think it's it's worth at least pointing out.
0: And it's not just being a father; it's also being a present husband.
1: I completely agree. Completely agree. And uh, and you know if you're lucky enough to have a good partner, and I feel like I am, and I certainly hope that you feel like you are too, then oh, yeah. it's about being a, a, a good team member as well. I never realized how much, how self-absorbed my lifestyle probably was until I got married and had a family and really had to put myself in the back seat. And, uh, I, I, and, and I'm a healthier and better person for it. Well,
0: I'm glad to hear. That's that's nice of you to share. And not everybody is willing to open themselves up enough to share information like that. I applaud you. Kudos for no, you. No,
1: I, I think that, that y- you have to have that level of honesty. It, it helps me be a better parent and it helps me be a better partner to have that level of honesty. And um, it's a, it's always a work in progress. Always
0: a work in progress. You Hey, life is. That's what it's all about. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think you know that as well as anyone, Stefan. So thank you.
0: Yes, indeed. So wrapping this sucker up today, any final little nuggets of wisdom or ideas that you'd like to share with us?
1: Yeah, just that um, I still consider uh, Jackson to be um, uh, a sort of home to me. Um, uh, It was part of uh, the formation of me as an adult and, and I had some of my most incredible life experiences and some of my my deepest uh, friendships and, and personal connections were made and continue to be with people that live in the valley. And uh, um, I think that, you know, it's easy to get cynical, but people should, who live there should recognize what a great place it is. And the natural world will never change, even if the community itself evolves, evolves in a lot of
0: different ways. The world will continue to evolve. And you're right. Right. And that's out of our
1: control. (laughs) Some of it is out of our control, you know, in in the ways it involves.
0: Amen to that. Well, Michael, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule today. It has meant the world for you to come and join me here today. And It's been a pleasure, Seven. I look forward to catching up. Keep on uh, winning the fight. You're being a great dad, great husband, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft-serve ice cream and a six-pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Want to know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review The Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Luke, you helped bring it all together. Y'all come back again, you hear?